just before you all came in, we just saved a living being, um, which is always heartwarming with our bugzuka. Is that what it's called? There's a bugzuka on the wall, in case you didn't know. And it's our way of saving little beings that might die in here. So there was a wasp on the, in the window over there, and one heroic being went over and put the little wasp in the, in the bugzuka and took it outside where, where it should be. So that's the kind of thing we're doing here. <laughs> Saving all beings from suffering. <laughs> Hopefully we are the beings that we are saving from suffering ourselves because we all need a lot of help. <laughs> and that's really, um, really one way of talking about the Buddhist teachings and where this practice fits so beautifully. And sometimes it's just talked about, the Buddha's teachings are talked about as a pathway to decrease our dukkha, or decrease our suffering, and increase our sukha, increase our happiness. And it's really that. You know, we can put all of our practices and all the teachings, um, everything that in the Dharma, just in that little crucible right there. See, what are the ways we can decrease our dukkha and increase our happiness? So this practice is really a beautiful way of doing that because we are turning, we're continuing to turn our mind towards that which brings happiness and decreases our suffering, and not only for ourselves but for others. There's this lovely um, uh, uh, teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh Uh, where he says, uh, if I lose my direction, I have to look for the North Star and I go north. That does not mean that I expect to arrive at the North Star. I just want to go in that direction. Right? So, So I like that a lot because in a way the metta and the other Brahma Viharas, the compassion, the joy and the equanimity, they're our North Star on this retreat. And so we have some way to orient our mind and our heart. And we need that. We need that. Otherwise, as as we see, the mind just can go in so many different directions, just get lost in the past and the future and ideas about the present. And we can lose a sense of our direction, where we're going, what are we doing. And so, so we have our North Star, but I particularly like that he says, it doesn't mean that I expect to arrive there, right? And so, so we just keep orienting ourselves in that direction, and then we see what happens. And so this practice is not only one of the intention, you know, and the aspiration and the direction, which is what we're doing again and again, but a whole other part of it is the letting go. We let go. Every moment, every instant, we direct our attention towards something, in this case our, uh, our metta or uh, Brahma Viharas, and we let go. We relax, drop it, let it go. Then pick it up again and then drop it, let it go. And sometimes maybe um, uh, we haven't talked so much about the actual letting go piece. But it's so it's it's the other side of the coin, and in some ways that's the equanimity. 
Well, that's really the ground of the equanimity. The firm ground of equanimity is when we let go of our attachment to our, our outcome, our desires, our expectations, our demands, uh, the way we control and manipulate and want something particular to happen. And that's the whole, whole ball of the grasping. With, with wise wisdom, with wise intention, wise thought, wise aspiration, which are all the second, this way, different ways of talking about the second factor on the Eightfold Path, we direct the mind, we turn the mind towards this North Star, and we let go. Drop it. <laughs> Just drop it. Keep dropping it and dropping it. Because unless we do... Uh, we're, we're going to, we may get caught up in our striving and our expectation and our, like, well, why aren't I there yet? How come I'm not still going in that direction? How come my mind is here and there? It's just that that's the way things are. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're noticing. So then we pick it up again. Moment to moment to moment. Intention and letting go. Intention and letting go. And this letting go piece is so crucial in our practice because it really is the, it's the out-breath. <sighs> it's that, the relax, just relax. Relax the shoulders, relax the chest, relax the belly, the arms. <sighs> and we need to take that out-breath. You can't just to keep taking the in-breath, right? <sighs> and then we're just going <sighs> to... At some point, we just have to breathe out and let go. So the letting go brings us back again and again to the ground of equanimity. And what that really means is it's where we're not caught in our attachment and our aversion. We're not caught in our reactions, in the reactive mind. We're not caught in our struggles and our fight and our demand our expectations, we let go. And all of that is the, the, all that, um, the, the grasping uh, and the, um, the, the strong uh, desire and craving, that's the way the sense of self or ego I takes form, the kind of the selfing. Sometimes we call it selfing. Oh, I'm just selfing now. Like, let it go, let it go. And we're really learning how to come back, to come back to the good, come back to the wholesome, come back to our heart, to the kindness, to the care, uh, to, the, to the place where, uh, where we're more connected to the way things really are, with that, with that kind awareness, that kind attention. So we might say that here we're, we're generating, we're inviting these conditions for our happiness to increase and our suffering to decrease. We start with the outer conditions. And we come here at Spirit Rock, and this whole place is set up to generate these conditions for more happiness and for decreasing suffering. I mean, everything here, the, the beauty of the land, the spaciousness, the solitude, the quiet, the support of each other, the teachers, the teachings, the staff, the practices, the creatures, the beautiful... Uh, we were just sitting down um, at the, where the, the, the um, 
staff and teacher sit in the hall, you know, this little herd of deer came prancing by, you know, not very far away at all, you know, about five adults and one small one that was sort of hopping around, you know, and very relaxed, very, very at ease, you know, really at ease. Not the kind of deer that you can sometimes see out in the wild that are very jittery, you know, really, really nervous about, you know, little sound or what they're going to, what's, what's near them. But these deer, because they're generations of deer, you know, they, 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 they're born here and they grow up here and they know that they're safe. This is a safe refuge for them. They're very, very relaxed. They eat their grass in the meadow. There's always fresh green grass there. And um, th- the woman I was sitting with said that she found out that deer um, only have a one-mile radius for their territory and they live in that mile. I hadn't known that. And so it means that the deer that have been growing up here and the generations of deer, pretty much this is their mile. <laughs> and what a refuge. And so we, we are, um, we're, we're practicing here with these creatures and with these lizards and the birds and the, the turkeys and the different animals that, that come here. So ticks, right? You know, little insects and <laughs> some of the not so welcomed ones that bite or can maybe cause a little bit more harm. And it's all part of our container here that really supports this uh, dropping and relaxing and letting go and continuing to practice in ways that are going to open our heart and clear our mind. So we come here and ha- enter into the safety of these outer conditions so that we can look more deeply into the inner conditions, the inner conditions of our mind and the inner condition of our heart. There's not, so, not as much disturbance, there's not as much uh, distraction here. So we really protect this space, we really protect it so that so that there can be a, the silence and the awareness act as a kind of mirror so that it just keeps reflecting you back to yourself so that you can really see your own mind and your own heart. And, of course, that can be difficult at times. It's like it could be a little intense sometimes to see the, the magnitude of the patterning of our mind. And yet this is really how the learning and the transformation really unfolds for us. To really see this, to um, confront the reality of our own conditioning and who we are, and to want to transform, want to come out of our suffering. And these practices really support us in doing that. Here, we're really using uh, the power of words the power of words and images and thoughts as a way of orienting, as a way of directing uh, our, our practice and our mind towards this goodness, towards the well-wishing. And the, pow- the, the power of these words really are like, uh, somebody used this uh, analogy once, it's almost like um, uh, entering into a particular web address 
Um, you, you kind of put your web address in and it takes you right to the website that you want. And it's sort of, sort of like that. You say, may I be happy? And there's a chance that it just, it's like entering a gateway right into happiness or entering a gateway right into compassion. You're sort of entering that in and there you are. Maybe just for a moment or a few moments. And it's, it's almost like it has that kind of power, words. Words have that power to orient us in a particular direction. And with the metta and the uh, brahma-viharas, it's like we can enter into a new and brightened state of awareness. It's like, yeah, I want that web address, right? Just let me sign up there, you know? Just, yeah, you know, just go right into that site. Or you might say that a mantra, you know, this kind of like a mantra, the repetition of words, the, the repeating of these words again and again, it's like um, a, a gateway that connects us with a very specific energy. And these words, uh, happiness and health and safety and ease, they all have a very specific feeling tone, a very specific energy. And so just by dropping the word, and sometimes some people have been doing that sometimes, it's just happy healthy, safe, at ease. And it's, it's just this way of staying connected, staying oriented. And so, we're, so when we say, may I, may I be happy or may I be healthy, we're, it's really an invitation. It's like we're inviting those conditions of our heart and our mind to come right into this present moment. So this invitation or generating conditions for this transform, transformation, for this changing of our heart and mind. So it's ve- there's this very interesting technology, really, you know, in the practice. It has tremendous integrity. It's tremendous uh, power to reorient, you know, reprogram, we've been saying, or you know, repattern our, 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 our mind. And this is the wise intention, the, the wa- wisdom in the intention to go towards the towards the happiness and well-being. And each of these um, uh, words and practices, they have a specific energy. You know, the the compassion has a specific energy, the mudita has a specific energy, equanimity has a specific energy. And as we we practice these different Uh, modalities and we start to feel and sense and we start to get to know all these different uh, aspects of the of the awakened heart and I call this in a way I call this the flavors of kindness or the flavors of love you know it's not like love or kindness just has one flavor and I think sometimes, you know, we might look for a particular feeling or a particular experience, you know, have an idea of what this metta should feel like or compassion should feel like or kindness. And, and, and then we kind of measure our experience to see if we're actually having that and somehow maybe it doesn't measure up. And, and I appreciate Sally's been talking about kind of lowering the bar you know, lowering the bar, because sometimes it's just a, a very quiet, she said, the absence of aversion or the absence of, 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 of some kind of difficulty in the mind. It's just peaceful 
and quiet and open. And there isn't any struggle in that. There's more equanimity in the experience in that moment. So if we're looking for some kind of specific experience based on some kind of idea we have or some image we have, we might miss this. Because the, the true, as we keep connecting deeply, connecting deeply, relaxing, letting go, uh, saying the, the, the phrases, saying the words, connecting with some intention and meaning, there is some feeling or some state that starts to arise. And we're, we, we're starting to know that or get familiar with all these different kinds of flavors. It's almost like the heart. I, sometimes I think of the heart like, like the sun. You know, there's just this brilliant kind of light of the heart. And then it has all these rays, you know, all these rays that go out. And each ray has a different, different quality or a different feel or a different experience. And, and, but yet they're all qualities of the heart. They're all beautiful ways that the heart expresses itself. I was just walking um, just before I came in. It's a beautiful time of the day, and the sun is just setting. And, and we have clouds, which is a little bit unusual. We don't often have clouds in July. And usually the, the sky is pretty clear and blue. But there's these lovely clouds this evening. And so the sun was just setting below the clouds, and the rays were just going out. You're just like in a drawing, you know, like a child's drawing, where there's the circle and then there's the, you know, the, the lines of the sun. And it was just like that. You know, there are these rays. And I was kind of looking at it and thinking, does the sun just, it really does have rays like that? You know, because it's, it's really how the sun gets depicted, and we don't often see that. And I was just kind of, you know, really curious about what was producing that. It might have been the way it was coming through the clouds, but it really does. You know, it just really is radiant. It's, it's brilliant. It's and in all, diff- all directions. And, and our heart is just like that. The heart, our heart of awareness, our heart of wisdom, a heart of love, it radiates in so many ways, in so many different directions. So we don't need to look for any particular kind of experience, but we want to start to know these different flavors. We want to know the different experiences of the heart. And some of you have really seen the difference between metta, just the, the well-wishing, and compassion, when, when the mind and the heart are more in the pain or in the suffering, and then the compassion touches that, and there's the, more of the, the quivering and the warmth and the, the trembling, the tremulousness, and, and uh, you know, the really deep connection with that pain. It's a very, very different feeling or experience than the metta, than just the pure metta of well-wishing. Or the joy, the mudita, when I was sitting here and, and leading the mudita for all of us, and I brought to mind somebody who I was uh, wishing uh, for their happiness to continue, their happiness and good for- fortune to continue and never, never end, and I was really imagining a friend who, who just actually, I was imagining a friend who loves to 
do her dharma practice, who loves her meditation. And, and she's, she has to work quite hard as well, but she wants, she's just always really wanting to get time to do her meditation and her practices. And, uh, and I was just imagining how happy she is when she gets a chance to do her practice. And I, was, I could see her face and just the joy on her face when she's actually uh, getting a sustained period of time. And my heart just almost started to, ex- it was just like, almost like exploding with happiness. I was just feeling so happy for her <laughs> that she could take time and, and she had this relationship to her Dharma practice. And I could just feel my heart just... I could hardly contain it, and I was, I was, I was so happy, <laughs> and, and it was so interesting because, it, you know, it was sort of what I was teaching and, you know, what we were practicing together, and I just kind of wanted to say to you, all of you, my heart is just exploding, <laughs> but somehow, you know, it didn't fit so well in the, <laughs> the way that I was teaching, but it's like, it's like that, the, so the, the joy, the joy, a whole different kind of of experience, a different kind of quality, doesn't even necessarily have to be strong or intense. It can sometimes just be very quiet, very simple joy. You're just, I'm happy that you're happy. Just that that contentment, that ease that we feel. We're We're just getting to know these flavors so that so that we don't get a sense that it's just one thing. We're not just looking for maybe just say happiness. I was talking to somebody about that today because there's some, you know, somehow, you know, well, we can't just be happy all the time, you know? It's sort of like, like what is this about, you know, wishing for happiness and uh, well-being because it doesn't feel realistic, you know? It doesn't feel like the way things really are. And so I reminded uh, this person how, yeah, that's just one flavor. That's just one ray of the love. There's a whole different relationship to the pain and the reality of pain in this life and we turn towards that. We open to that and it's a very different quality that we begin to feel. Not that kind of happiness or the the bursting of joy. Much more tender, much more uh, tremulous, you know, just more the quivering, I, I, I feel that quivering in the compassion. So, so this is so, so we were practicing with getting to know the territory of the heart, you know, the, the beautiful qualities, which sometimes we just say is our natural home. We're learning how to reconnect, we're learning how to feel and sense that that natural expression of our heart, of our being, of of who we really are, without the whole kind of overlay of this sense of the conditioned self, the conditioned self that gets so caught up in its desire and its attachment and its reactions and resistance and aversion, a lot of what Sally was speaking about last night, how the mind can get caught in those, that patterning that can create so much pain for ourselves and others. Essentially how we, we put a demand on top of reality and it's what I want and what I expect so that I <laughs> will get what I want. And it's, very, it's a very narrow view, it's a very limited and, and confined view of reality. 
and our world gets very, very small, very uh, con- constricted, very contracted in that view, in the view of, of me, the view of, of what we call self, ego self. And in this case, it's the, it's the conditioned, it's the conditioning that we're speaking about that gives rise to this, this attachment and this aversion. So when these, um, when these contractions come in, and I began speaking about this the other night, this is what begins to uh, distort these beautiful qualities of the heart, which are called the near and the far enemies. And now we have kind of, we've gone over all the different Brahma Viharas and really looking at that contractedness, how each of these pure expressions, rays of the, of the sun-like heart when that when the when the grasping ego grasping comes in how it gets distorted how it gets distracted so with the loving kindness it gets it gets contracted into attached and possessive love and if it keeps getting tighter and keeps getting tighter it'll turn into hate and aversion towards that object towards that thing that's the contraction of the self and, and it's really like a tightening the screws, you know, it's just tightening and tightening. And as we tighten it, it's more and more painful, you know. Fortunately, we all have ways to release that so that we don't get so caught that we're like suffocating and going down. We may at times, but we can find our way back up. With compassion, when the pure compassion starts to get uh, distorted with the self, with ego self, we see how it leads to a bit more of of despair or pity or sometimes self-righteous anger. It shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't happen like this. Uh, The injustice or whatever. And can't really open to the suffering as it is, seeing that there are causes and conditions that give rise to that. And then if it intensifies and gets even more tight, then it goes into the opposite, which is the cruelty, really actually causing harm to, to that person or to that thing. The, all of these far enemies are all very harmful, very painful. And then, and then the joy, it's a pure, the pure movement of the joy. And as the self gets in there and gets more contracted around it, and like, wait a minute, why does, why does she get all the good fortune? What about me? You know, and the jealousy and the envy that start to come in. And if it gets tighter and tighter, I was speaking about how that we just get very attached to the joy. We get attached to the happiness. And I want this. It feels so good. It feels so happy. And we just got carried away um, with that excitement and that exuberance. And we lose connection. Maybe not as painful as the other ones, but another way that we start to lose connection. We lose the ground. We lose the equanimity. We lose the sense of, 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 of the connection with our fuller uh, experience. And then the equanimity, where when we would lose the, when the self comes in, this is the way that we just start to cut off the first, the near enemy, just starting to cut off a little bit and become a bit more indifferent and disconnected and not really engaged and we're not really there. And it looks like equanimity, but it's not because we're just kind of hiding out a little bit. I don't want to deal with it now. I just want to back out. Or if it gets a little tighter and we really don't like, we can't accept what's going on, we get into the aversion and the and the attachment, and we get tighter and tighter. 
And so you see how the sense of self just can enter in to the purity of that expression of love. It's still love. It's just gotten distorted. It's got obscured. The veils, we call it the veils, have come down around the heart and around the mind. And we can't access the purity of that expression in the same way. But as I was saying, we, we can find ways. We can find ways to begin to let go and open back up to the space and the openness and the relaxation and the, the uh, ease more and more and more as we do this practice. We might think of love or the loving kindness as kind of a, has a sort of a watery, ele- watery element to it. Like it's very open and flowing and fluid and spacious, you know, water that just goes everywhere. It doesn't, it's very difficult to, to contain water. It, it just, it will go and fill all the crevices and all the holes and, you know, it just, it's very uh, fluid in that respect. And love Love, the loving quality is very much like that. It just, it wants to flow out. It just wants to touch everything. It wants to go everywhere. It has that, that kind of watery quality. But when the sense of grasping or the selfing comes in, it, it, it can get very, and get contracted. It's almost like that water turns to ice. It starts to freeze. And we start to experience the watery element more as an ice or ice block. And we feel, we feel kind of the coolness, we feel the coldness, we feel the separateness. And things start to shift in that way. It's a, but it's still water. In the same way that all these qualities that I was speaking about are still uh, love. It's just that it gets frozen or contracted. And it's said that the warmth of the sun, again the sun, the heart of the sun, can melt the ice. It melts the ice, so it returns back to its nature. It returns back to its original nature. Or we return back to our original nature. So it's not that, it's not, it's just the conditions have changed. The conditions uh, for the, the, the purity of that expression have changed through past uh, influences, past conditioning. And then we feel more of the contraction, more of the tightness. And then it can soften and melt and let go. This is one way that Nisargadatta, the great uh, Indian saint, he's talked about it like this. He says, When you know beyond all doubting that the same life flows through all that is, and you are that life, you will love all naturally and spontaneously. When you realize the depth and fullness of your love for yourself, you know that every living being and the entire universe are included in your affection. Just that flow. Everything, the, the, the love just flows out to everything, everyone, every living being. But when you look at anything as separate from you, you cannot love it for you are afraid of it. Alienation causes fear and fear deepens alienation. It's a vicious cycle. Only self-realization can break it. Go for it resolutely. 
So we're trying to get a sense more and more of what actually creates that sense of separation, that creates that sense of self and other, and then that gap where there sometimes feels like there's this abyss between, um, between me and the other. Today, um, it's kind of an interesting experience. You know, we're, we're all going through this as much as you're going through this. You know, it's sort of like, it's not like we're up here teaching and then you are all having those experiences out there. We're also doing the practices and, you know, going, going through things here. And this morning, um, when we were doing the difficult person, and I was, was uh, following the, the practice and doing the difficult person, um, I was kind of scanning and thinking about who I wanted to bring in as my difficult person. And, and of course, I thought of a, I say, of course, um, thought of a few family members. Sometimes that's often where the mind will go, is to some family. And, um, but I was just sort of thinking, you know, then I thought, well, there are other family members. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you start thinking about the, who, who are those people who are more in that difficult category. And then I, I, was, I have some family in Ohio, and um, it's been a difficult family um, uh, relationship over the years. And I have a sister who passed, passed away about um, 20 years ago, and she had three children. Her, th- her three children are now adults, and they have children. And, and they, they're orphans. They, they were orphans early on. And, you know, and... I've caught me and my sister sort of took on and uh, been looking after them for for much of their life. And um, it's not easy. They had a difficult childhood, you know, losing their parents and difficult parents and when they were still young. And um, and so I was just starting to bring them in and I and I didn't want to just do one. So I kind of brought them in as a group and was holding, holding them as sort of the feeling, the love, feeling the, uh, wishing them well, and really wanting happiness for them. And, and it was, what happened was a very interesting thing, where as I was really allowing myself to feel the difficulty, and feel that, um, uh, uh, let that go, and allow my heart to open to them, what happened was my, um, I have a 91-year-old mother, who is their grandmother and great-grandmother. And we moved her out to uh, Los Angeles uh, last year to be in an assisted living facility. And, um, and she's actually doing pretty well. She's having a lot of difficulty walking, but her mind's good and she's in a really good frame of mind. But she hasn't been able to see her family and uh, she can't travel, and, you know, I mean, she hasn't been able to travel, and we've just been taking very good care of her. And it just dropped in. It was so interesting this morning when I was feeling the love, letting my heart open to my family, and then my other, some other siblings, and sort of they were, all the family was sort of there, and allowing myself to overcome any of the difficulty, this thought just dropped in that I need to take my mother from Los Angeles to Ohio to be with her family. And it was such a clear image, and I never had that thought before. It's like I never even considered traveling with my mother or taking my mother anywhere that she could do it, or I thought people had to go visit her. It was like, oh, we're going to Ohio. And we're going to spend a week or so with the family. And, and it was such an interesting movement of the heart that, of course, we can do that. 
And I just felt all this happiness and all this goodwill. And, this, and it, I even had a, had a lot of trouble with one of, one of the, the step-siblings. Um, and I thought, oh, and we're gonna, I'm going to invite her up so she could spend time with, with mom. And it was just like, we're all going to come here together. And I just, it was just the most lovely feeling that that thought has. It was so interesting, just as the heart opened and my mind opened, it, the, there was just this, okay, that's what we need to do. And we are going to, and I called her. Then I called her this afternoon. <laughs> I said, Mom, we're going to Cleveland. How do you feel about that? And she was silence on the other end. <laughs> and then we talked about it a little while, and she said, let me think about it. You know, I don't want to decide right now. And, but as long as I can afford it, and I don't want to impose on anybody, you know, the usual things that mothers say. And, um, and it just is this wonderful feeling. And it just made me realize that... Um, this is what happens, sort of like as we just open a little bit more, not to, I could see how my mind could just kind of be in the, ah, uh, you know, this difficulty, and this one's difficult, and that one's difficult, and it hasn't been easy, and the problems with this one, and you know, how the mind can just get caught up in the storylines, and it, because of the metta, working with this, it, it all cleared away, I felt my heart, and boom, the wise action, the wise action just dropped right in. It's clear as a day. You know, it's like, we're going. I'm booking the ticket. It's like, we're, <laughs> we're on our way. And then somebody, I actually mentioned it to the other teachers, because right after I was so excited about it, and they said, wait, you got a Dharma talk you have to give tonight. <laughs> you, know, you can't go yet. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was that, that kind of excitement, you know, that, that kind of thrill. And I can feel how how, how this, the, the discomfort or the difficulty, sort of the, the pain of these relationships can feel kind of prickly. Sort of there's a prickliness. It's like, like just don't want to go near it. It's just kind of like, just keep it away a little bit. And then, this, and then that just kind of, that knee-jerk reaction, when I th- think of the person or, it's, oh, it's overwhelming, it's too much, it's too, diff- you know, it's, but just like the feeling, the, the well-wishing and the sense of goodness and opening, and then just want to be right in the middle of it. I want to be with all of them. I want to be embracing all of them and holding all of them. And it's just so interesting to see that shift, to see that change of heart, the change of mind, which was completely unexpected. It made me... Um, think about, remember this time when I was um, uh, a while ago, quite a, quite a while ago, in one of my three-month retreats that I was doing at the Insight Meditation Society, I, for one of these three-month retreats, half the six weeks, I did the Brahma Bihara practice like some of the other teachers have been talking about, and doing like four weeks of loving kindness, and then um, uh, two weeks of the other three uh, Brahma Biharas. So I was like in my fifth week and I was doing compassion practice and I was doing um, some practice for somebody who was in some pain. 
And then I, at that time, I, I, and having been doing the, the loving kindness and the, the, the compassion, I could just see this and feel this kind of prickliness, you know, the prickliness about myself and seeing things about myself and, and the relationships that I had with other people and, and just this kind of sense of, you know, not really wanting to go, go there, but knowing that I needed to work with my heart. And, I, and when, when I was doing the compassion practice, I, I did have this, this deep realization that the, oh, that the deepest work I can do if I really want to make a difference in this world, if I really want to transform my relationships, is to, is to increase my capacity to open to pain to increase my capacity to open to the dukkha aspect of life. Otherwise, I'm just in this kind of knee-jerk reaction, just keeping it away, keeping it at bay's le- uh, at, at length, keeping it away, and just not, and, and continuing to disconnect again and again and again, not really being fully present with the way things are. And I could see how that's a kind of running, running away from the pain, running away from the pain, and running towards the pleasure, running towards the good feelings, running towards the good, good experiences, that which feels good, but not really wanting to, to feel the pain. And I, and I got in such a profound way that that's what I need to do. I need to be able to tolerate and increase my capacity to feel this so I'm not running away again and again and again. I could just feel myself on the wheel, running away from pain, running towards pleasure, running away from pain, running towards pleasure. You know, and that's the wheel that the Buddha talks about. You know, the wheel of birth and death and birth and death, just being born again and again into these difficult states of, of mind, into these painful and woeful states. And so I'd really started to, I uh, made this deep commitment where I felt this passion to, uh, to, f- to confront the suffering within myself and my own mind and heart as a way to not only relieve my own pain, but then to uh, relieve pain and suffering for others and in the world. And I remember the passion that really started to arise in my heart and this deep commitment that this is the most important thing in my life. The most important thing in my life to relieve suffering, to decrease the suffering, to decrease the suffering not only for myself but for all beings in this world. And that really has been kind of the the North Star, you might say, the, the kind of the North Star or the guiding light for me is whatever is going to uh, 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 help me relieve the suffering within o- my own mind and heart because I know that then that is what's purifying that uh, contracted state, the ice block within my own heart and softens that, melts it and then I can start to be present for other people's suffering. Really be present. Otherwise I can't be. I'm just going to run away. And that's what happened this morning. I could see wow, I wasn't running away at all. I wanted to be right in the middle. <laughs> it's like, I want to go right in the middle and I want everybody all around, you know? And it was just the, the most remarkable feeling. So really the question is, how? How then? How can I open my heart to myself and to others without being repelled? 
without being caught in this resistance again and again and again. I see, and we can see, that the conditions of this world, the conditions of this mind, the conditions of this body, in some way don't change. You know, I'm going to have this body, and this is the body that I have to, that I have to deal with. I have a personality, and I have patterns of my personality. This is pretty much, you know, the way this being has taken shape. You know, the world has taken shape in a particular way at this time. There's certain causes and conditions that have given rise to the way that we're experiencing this world right now. Climate change being a really good uh, example of that. This is the way it is. This is the way things are. So the conditions in some ways, moment to moment, don't change that much. But what I'm needing to understand is how to transform my relationship to the conditions moment to moment to moment. So I'm not caught in my resistance and my aversion and my attachment and my demands, um, controlling, manipulating, demanding, expecting. How do I change that? How do I transform that? That's what I'm interested in. As in, in the equanimity, as it said, as it said in the, one of the phrases, which I like a lot, whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding according to a natural law. Whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding according to a natural law. And when I say that and when I take it in, it brings me to a place of real trust, Trust in the Dharma, trusting in the way things are, trusting in the unfolding of things. And my job is to see if I can stop reacting to it and demanding that it is different than it is. But it doesn't mean then that I don't take action, but what it means is that it's more likely in that clear space of equanimity, in the the firm ground of equanimity, the, uh, the awareness of what needs to happen will come in. And there's the trusting of that, the trusting of the unfolding, which was so clear this morning when it was, was just as clear as day of what needed to happen to bring my family together. Just like, I didn't try to figure that out. It was like, it landed in the clear space. In the firm ground, on the firm ground of equanimity. And so that's the ground, that's the ground that we're, we're attempting to find, we're attempting to know, we're attempting to feel. And from there arises the ray. That's the, you might say the equanimity is, is, the, is, the, is the sunlight, is the pure sun. And then the rays of, met, of metta, of loving kindness and compassion and joy and generosity and gratitude and all in forgiveness, all the different rays that come out. Then we know, then we have more of a sense of how to proceed, how to move on. And all we need to do this is in one moment, it's just one moment. It's not like we have to figure this all out. It's just this moment. If we didn't do it the last moment, we get another moment. That's the benevolence of this universe. 
Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we screwed up. Maybe we were lost. Maybe we were caught. Maybe, you know, but we have another moment. We have another moment. We have this moment. That's the offering to us. We always have a fresh moment. Start again. Start again. (laughs) Begin again. Of course, there's the influences from the past and the conditions of the past, of the mind and the body. Those are the conditions that arise arise in the present moment. How can I be with that? How can I respond to that moment to moment to moment? Somebody came in today, and, 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 and it was so so lovely, saying, um, "I've been hearing for so long this teaching on open to experience, just as it is." And today, I really understood what that teaching was about—to open to experience, just as it is. And she just she just fell into it in one moment where she wasn't resisting. And she wasn't fighting. She wasn't struggling. It wasn't necessarily a pleasant experience, but she could just feel it and allow it, accept it, and let it be just as it is and, and come into a relationship with it. And she was, it was just so sweet, you know, just hearing, I understand what it means to be open now. And it was, we really had to celebrate a little bit together because it was just such a, 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 an important and significant moment that she landed in, a, 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 in the equanimity that wasn't in resistance and wasn't in attachment to the way things were. And it's just this one moment. It doesn't mean then that it's going to always be like that forever, but it's a moment that opens in this way, and we know it, we get to know it, we understand it, the insight comes, the wisdom comes, and then we have more of a sense of how to orient, how to be with experience, with not, not as much resistance, not as much attachment. We learn more and more how to relax, how to breathe, how to be more in our belly, more on the ground, keeping our feet on the ground, Breathing in, our, breathing in and breathing out so the chest relaxes and opens. Finding these tools, finding these resources. And starting where we are. One moment, starting again and again. This teacher, Mark Nepo, some of you might be familiar with, he has this lovely phrase, He says that for the flower, it is fully open at each step of its blossoming. For the flower, it is fully open at each step of its blossoming. It's really pointing to the perfection of that flower in each step of its blossoming. It's just open, right? It's a little bit more open and a little bit more open and a little bit more open. It's fully open for that flower at that point. And then it opens a little more, it opens a little more. And in some ways we might see that that's really what we're doing here. All these flowers that are opening. And you are fully open at each step. It can't be any other way. That's what openness, that is what equanimity is. It's like it cannot be any other way fully open, fully as it needs to be. 
as you need to be. So once again, I um, want to end um, this evening with inviting Terry so we can have another um, song, another chant together to end our evening. So Terry is going to come up and we can have a unified chant. (laughs) Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Sharda, for your teaching. So, loka, samasta, sukhino, bhavantu. So this is a chant for, it's a universal chant for happiness. So my choir of angels, uh, (laughs) the yoga students, Um, Please um, just, well, actually, we'll do this one-time call and response so that the people who aren't familiar with this chant um, can get a sense of it. And then just join in um, whenever you want to. together.